Hello. Welcome back to Connect This. I just never get that right in the first try. <laughs> connect This. That's that's way better. That's what we're doing here. Uh, we got to connect this episode. It's been a little while. I'm out of practice. Um, but we've got a great panel. So rather than rather than doing a warm-up panel to get back into the show, I brought a panel I've been excited about bringing on for a long time. And uh, we're going to introduce them here and then dive right into the discussion. Uh, I'm going to start off by introducing Jessica Grogu Engel, who is the Yurok Telecommunications Corporation CEO. Uh, we've got Matt, the Wookiee Rantanen. From, he was the director of, of technology at the Southern California Tribal Chairman's Association with, uh, and he's also a tribal digital village and he has like eight other different titles. Uh, he's amassing them. Uh, Travis, I, I'm calling the collector Carter uh, from USI Fiber in Minneapolis, uh, who uh, is a, uh, a tremendous fan of the Star Wars universe. And then so the, uh, the pressure is, what do we call you? It would be Chris Chicken mm. Mitchell. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think All there's right. any chicken wings in the Star Wars universe. We'll just call them wings. Yeah. But, but, but I have seen 500 chickens commit to you 100% in the past. So, yes. No, Matt knows my deep, dark secret. I am Chris, the failed parent with the kid who says Empire Strikes Back is boring. Mitchell from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Yeah. Yeah. I do know this and I tried to bury it, but you've just brought it back up to the surface. Um, he's been, he's been spoiled by the, uh, the rebels, um, you know, like the modern, like, you know, television or what constant, yeah, the cartoon where everything's happening all the time, there's constant action. And, uh, you know, there's, there's moments of of empire where you have to just sit there and think and deal with your feelings. Can I explain to my kid the concept (laughs) of adoption before I showed him star Wars to make sure that he even faked that he enjoyed it. So yeah, we had, we had the same problem at my house. This isn't that good, dad. It's that great. (laughs) After the hundredth time you've seen it, it's awesome. The bad batch just got renewed for a second season. So woohoo. So we are going to be talking about broadband in tribal areas, talking about Indian country broadband. And Matt is someone that uh, I've known for a very long time who's worked on this. Uh, and Jessica, we met more recently at the Tribal Wireless Bootcamp, uh, which uh, was wonderful. And, and I just really enjoyed the contributions you're able to bring and uh, the experience you can bring from, from the Yurok tribe. Um, so we'll talk more about that in, after we get past the opening. But um, I do want to ask, and I'll ask you this first, Jessica, um, this is it's out of the cold, uh, but um, are you feeling good about federal broadband efforts? I, I know you're involved in multiple ones. Uh, just give us a quick read on how you feel when I just throw that at you. Well, I mean, like with NTIA, it's exciting. It's like the first time where there's a grant that we fit into without having to like, you know, adjust our edges to fit into that particular funding stream. Um, it's a little nerve wracking because it's like, you know, this is such a huge opportunity once in a lifetime and we got to get it right, but there's only a year to do it in. So that's been the, the big struggle for me is that there's so much need and how do you fit it into this one particular funding stream? And so I'm hoping that there's additional funding coming down, but also just like relooking at the way that the federal government views telecommunications and broadband of any sort. It's like, you know, tribes have the ability to do this sort of thing on our own. And, um, you know, they've always been held to this telecommunications or, or telephone company uh, as a standard for being able to access these funds. And so 
it seems like the tides are changing. I don't want to get overly excited, um, but you know, it's looking good. Hopefully it'll, it'll continue this route until we get it solved. So we've got optimism starting off, Matt, uh, how do you feel about it? You ready for the pessimism? Oh, um, <laughs> so I, I feel good uh, in the fact that, you know, I, I think Jeffrey Blackwell and I and um, the National Congress of American Indians and several folks in the policy space for the past six or seven years have been asking for a foundational start to federal support of this. And that number has always been a billion dollars. So we're happy to see that that was the number that was chosen. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot of other contributors to this space, but, you know, we've been active and aggressive about, you know, setting some sort of a foundational space that we can work in that, that goes to the tribes that actually flows to the tribes. Like, like Jessica said, you know, we don't have to bend and, and reshape ourselves to be able to attain the dollars. It actually fits who we are. So um, that's a very positive uh, note. Um, it's a little wonky as it's coming through NTIA, but I think everybody's learned to adjust to that. Um, you know, obviously it's a, it's a stressful time to try to get your act together before the application window closes on September 1st. But those of us that are involved with all the things ethereal in the policy space know that there's more money coming, have seen some components of what that might look like um, and believe that there is, you know, another very large round of money to support exactly what we're doing here to pick up those that are probably going to miss this initial application window or not apply uh, for the full project and maybe pick up portions of that project moving forward. Uh, there's a lot happening. So um, provided all of this stuff actually does what it's supposed to do, we should be um, in a really good space uh, moving forward. And this is something that I, I think Jessica and Matt might want to also comment on. Uh, but Travis, how are you feeling about EBB now? You were pretty bullish on it several months ago. The idea is amazing. The execution, yeah. eh, not so much. Uh, you know, I, I, let's just say that if, uh, hold on, how, how, uh, how negative should I get? So, yeah, you know, <laughs> If we get paid someday, that'll be a good deal. Let's put it that way. Are we going to spend a lot of time and energy to, to chase down the money? It'll get to a point where we'll just let it go and move on. So if a private company had been running this program, they'd be out of business. But uh, we'll just leave it at that. So, But again, we don't have a lot of, you know, we don't interact with the federal government at all because we're in the we're in a metro area where we're doing most of our construction. So, but I do feel for the people. I mean, you, it's not an easy process, from what I understand. Listening to folks, making sure they get all the eyes dotted right, all the T's crossed correctly, and then when you get funded. So, as far as the, my little small taste of the government programs, would I do it again? No. Jessica, give us a sense of what that's been like for you, and then we'll go to Matt, too. Well, I mean, it's a hugely beneficial thing for, for the Yurok Reservation in particular. The income is so low. Um, you know, blanketly, Delnor County, the, the county in California that we're primarily in, um, gets free school lunch, period. Like, in general, this entire region is low income. So, off the, the bat date, everyone should qualify in some way, shape, or form. 
the problem that I had with it is that there's no administrative um, allowance and it, there is a lot of administration to be able to get people signed up, mm-hmm. to be able to input the system and get them verified. And then the nightmare that I've been having is with the tribal lands component. Their, their, um, their CSV files you have to you know, upload. It's like uh, you know, battling against a brick wall because it doesn't allow, um, you know, it doesn't see every customer as being on tribal lands that truly are. And then once you are just like, you know what, screw it. It's the last day of the month. I'm just going to force them through and 50 bucks is better than nothing. Um, it doesn't let you go back in and update the tribal land piece. It's just, you know, an issue with USAC. I, I believe it's been in existence since the beginning of time that has never been resolved. Um, but ultimately, you know, I've been pretty fortunate. I have some amazing staff, like our, um, our GIS staff took survey one, two, three from our GIS, put the application in there and cold called all of our customers. Um, so we have everybody but like 40 in and verified now. Um, but we missed the month of May. We got like maybe half in June. And so July and ongoing, we should be okay. Yeah, so similar problems uh, here in Southern California, but um, the system is designed for incumbent telcos, right? This is this is designed for them specifically to manage their lifeline and those types of efforts. And if you're on Rails on that system, um, you already have a program in place that's been utilizing that system, then everything is, is peachy and you just move through. Anybody that's new is battling a barrier of, you know, they're they don't have things scaled to our size. They don't have things designed to fit, you know, the parameters that we're required to enter. And so we're submitting this uh, CSV file, comma separated value file, and it doesn't accept it and it refuses it. And so you get to get on tech support and you email the tech support email help. Three weeks later, you get the first response like, oh, we're swamped. Can you email this email address? So then yeah. two more weeks go by and you get a response from that email address that says, we'll try, but we're underwater. So it took us two months just to get us established in the system. We finally applied. It was last Thursday, I think, for the first time. Well, wait, is, what is today? Thursday? It might have been Monday that we applied for the first uh, reimbursement the very first reimbursement and it's been that difficult so and it sounds like you may not get that immediately from travis's experience uh, um yeah luckily yeah have, has anyone gotten any have you actually gotten any money yet or so national digital inclusion alliance is tracking this pretty heavily and i would imagine they would be able to answer those questions but i i haven't our yes. system has have not you, jessica? i think jessica yeah yeah we did get the the reimbursement for june um oh, okay yeah so the you know, it's it's a pretty silly system because they extended the date when you could certify your claim, but they didn't extend the date when they take the snapshot. Right. So on June, when they took a snapshot, we didn't have anybody verified. So we couldn't claim <laughs> for the month of May. Um, and so while at the tribal boot camp, I'm like staying up, uh, you know, before um, the, you know, the last minute of the, the last day of the month to make sure everybody was in there for uh, July 1st to be able to verify and, and get those claims certified. So it's a pain. It's a huge pain. And it doesn't make any sense why they made it so difficult. It's like waste, fraud, and abuse is not um, prevented by making it impossible for us to submit a claim for verified and eligible people. 
Yeah, it's, it's interesting you bring that up because I found the point where the clerical costs were getting so high to process the yeah. claims that I just pulled the plug on it. And because I, I had three people full time working on this thing. And, you know, it's like what Matt said, emailing into the, the, the abyss because, you know, relatively simple, you know, we're not talking complex data streams here. It was like name, address, you know, <laughs> their, their number. Yeah. It, it wasn't going, it wasn't, it wasn't being accepted. So um, yeah, no, the clerical side of it became quite a, quite a job. So oh, I think, really? I think next time if this comes around, I'll just give away like a thousand free vouchers and for a month or two yeah. and right. call a day. Cause it's just, it's less hassle. It really I would, is. I, I mean, it's like, like, if the last four of their social starts with a zero, don't even, you know, don't yeah. even attempt, <laughs> you know, fortunately when, since most of my customers are, are tribal citizens, I'm just like, you know, if that's the case, then I'm using the tribal ID instead. Did you guys find it interesting how many people knew about it though? We had so many people call up and say, we're EBB, here's my code. You know, we're ready to go, kind of thing. I was. Did that, you find I mean, out where? I mean, that's that schools or that's city based. That yeah. is not. That is not rural based, right? Okay. So, so okay. I was curious about that. Now, yeah. What we're getting is people from Los Angeles County calling us up saying, "Hey, are you distributing the devices? Because LA or wherever I live isn't. You know, they don't have them available anymore. But we see that you're distributing the devices. Can we come get them from you? And we're like, at what point are you seeing that? rural san diego county tribal is serving la county okay at all and and when you go to the website everything in california is just listed in a pile there's no designation to what they're serving or where they're at geographically it's just a mess yeah so we're gonna and as prices go like i think i'm just gonna have the um local shipping company mail them out to the customers because we're having a pretty big surge of cases and um yeah. in and around our area and so my like as far as the administrative cost the cost of like an admin clerk to schedule people to come out and pick them up it's cheaper just to throw them in the mail yeah so i wanted to answer the the, the question about how i'm feeling about federal broadband efforts and <laughs> i'll just note oh, that okay. um all of all of this resonates with with my complex feelings um you know we're starting to see a light at the end of the tunnel perhaps of uh of the infrastructure bill and uh, there's parts of it that i like uh there's parts of it i'm deeply disappointed in uh but the thing that i, I would highlight and we're going to talk about this more uh sean and i are going to talk about this in the community broadband bits podcast that'll be published on tuesday um is that it requires state governments to develop plans that um, local governments have to be involved in and have to comment on. And that um, is really important because local governments have historically just had to deal with the reality of federal funds and the federal government decides who gets them and when and Sometimes it's a good idea and sometimes it's not, but local governments just have to deal with the, with the reality. They haven't had an ability to shape where they're going. And um, I think it's exciting. Um, I think that's good, but um, the text that I've seen, and, and Matt, you can let me know, um, is it the case that tribes will also have to go through state governments? Because that, that's a real problem. I thought, I thought we'd gotten away from that, but I'm worried if we're going to, heading back into that here. Uh, so what I understand from the infrastructure bill, and I, you know, this isn't obviously set in stone, but that there will be... Um, billions more that flow through um, directly to tribes, and then there will be portions of, of of the dollars that get allocated to the states that tribes will also be eligible for. Okay. 
Good, because for people who aren't familiar, um, the history of tribes trying to get support from states is uh, is at best mixed. Um, it's generally not worked out very well for the tribes. Yeah, definitely mixed. And you know, those of us that have been in one place for a long period of time pushing those buttons, I think we have a different result. Like California is is very receptive to tribal. Um, you know, it has the highest number of reservations at 109 and um, pretty big population. Um, you know, and we're very active in the in the state efforts and what they do locally, regionally and things. So I think they're a little more responsive than other states. I mean, I know relationships with states, tribes that don't even want their tribes to be within their borders. I mean, it's it's a nightmare. So at this point of the show, I wanted to update longtime viewers and fans that um, uh, sometime in February, Travis and I made a bet in the vicinity of Doug Dawson regarding um, uh, whether or not the FCC would, by some point in February 2022, have uh, adjusted the broadband definition, the, sp the, the definition of what broadband speed. was. The speed. Yeah, the speed. And um, I felt supremely confident that it would be done. I would probably would have even gone with like October or November of 2021. And um, now I, I don't know. I'm starting to think that I may end up buying wings for all of next year whenever Travis and I go out. Oh, <laughs> so I kind of want to chime in on that. I kind of feel like this administration in all of its appointments and, and strategies, we may end up with a 2-1 minority uh, alignment for the for the administration for the the people that are in the FCC making decisions if they don't act soon. Right. So the FCC should be three to two, three um, people from the party in power, two people from the party not in power. And right now it is two two because the Biden administration has not nominated its third person and soon to be. Would be. Um, soon to be one to two. <laughs> yeah, because in January, Jessica Rosenworcel, acting chair, has to step down, at which point um, Republicans will have two votes versus one, and they will uh, have the power in the Senate to more or less really make it very difficult to get another uh, commissioner on, at which point I don't know when the definition for broadband goes up. And, and to give you an idea of this, if my understanding is from people who know, because I'm just someone who talks to people who know often and then reports what they say, often without changing it anyway, um, the, the people that I talk to say, if, if right now, as we're doing this show, Joe Biden announced who his FCC pick would be, that person might be confirmed in November. And yeah. at that point, you got to assume that, that the Republicans may be scheming um, just to maintain their power on the over the FCC. And so I think this administration has lost a significant um, edge. On top of that, they've not named an NTIA secretary who runs the NTIA. And NTIA is about to administer the largest broadband program in the history of the country. <laughs> so um, I, I know that they're working on a lot of things. And I know that, that COVID is the top of the list. But um, I got to say that, like, if it ends up being that that these positions are filled by the characters that many of us thought uh, were, were almost certain to fill them in January, I'm going to be asking, why did it take 8, 10, 12 months to pick a person that we all knew was probably going to get that job? So um, we're, in a, we're in a position right now in which I think a lot of the things that we took for granted that would be happening soon might not be happening. And uh, that really upsets me because I don't like um, paying for wings if I don't have to. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm going to side with uh, with Travis on this, but I think. Um, yeah, so, no, I um. Uh, so, so, what do you what do you want? You want a double or nothing? Is that what you're saying here? I mean, <laughs> no, I'm no, not, I think sure. I'm not trying to. Okay, okay. No, 
No, I, I um, and let's be clear, like, even if, even if you and I get together, like every week, I feel like I will still at the end of the year be in a wing deficit to you. So well, I, I, actually, I have a sense that you'll be magically not around in 23, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, some, uh, you know, you know, somehow you disappear for a whole year. So well, I'm not going to eat wings by myself. So, no. yeah. so yeah, you yeah. have to look and at this it is all a- you can choose from, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think, Chris, you have to look at it as a win-win for you, whether you have to pay for them or not. Yeah. You at least get to have wings no, as many true. times yeah. as you're with Travis. Well, that's that's true. And I'll say that it is a mystery to me how Matt, among other friends of mine, all happen to live more than a thousand miles away from wherever <laughs> I happen to be. Uh, most of my friends don't live anywhere near me. So, Travis, um, yeah. I'm expecting that you're looking for property in Florida somewhere right now. Yeah, yeah quickly. No, no, no. I'm uh, I'm, I'm excited <laughs> to get back on our wing uh, wing tour. We, to answer your email from this morning, by the way, I am ready anytime you are. So to go out and have wings. Excellent. Here we go. We're going to move in, uh, um, into the, the most eagerly anticipated part of the show. Um, as, as promised in Telecom Peekaboo, this is something that I was, I was guessing uh, Jessica would, would recognize. I know Matt recognizes. The cell tower? Yeah. So like that's that, as best we can tell, that dish, though, is related to it. Right. Yeah. So I think it's called a cellophane pole. <laughs> if well, you look let's, at let's, it, let's I, look at the L and B on the satellite. I mean, it doesn't. It looks like it's receiving only though. So, um, and if you look at it, it's aiming at a mountain. It is not aiming. I'm pretty sure it's not aiming at a sky because I know the terrain. Yeah. It's actually aiming up to the Palomar Mountain Range, the yeah. north side of the Palomar Mountain Range. You are right. That is the, so. It, it is a. It is not a satellite dish. It's a reflector for the wireless signal coming in, probably to feed this small cell. Um, this looks like an original. Boy, that's a that's a cell site, but it. Uh, yeah, that's a macro cell, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. It just kind of is an interesting configuration. How it's just right there on a pole. Is it, Matt? Is this out by your house or what? It's on the way to my house. Yeah, on the yeah. highway seventy nine south in southern Riverside County. So I, I'm going to take the little bit of trivia that Matt gave me with the uh, the dish acting as a wireless backhaul, as a reflector, probably going up to some sort of hillside. Um, yeah, telephone. There's you. There you go. No trespassing either. <laughs> yeah, no trespassing. What the general yeah, guardrail? Yeah. Or... <clears throat> yeah, that's a very interesting design, though. It's. This is my second favorite design. My favorite one is if you're out in California in some places, they make them look like palm trees. I like when they do yeah, that. We have palm yeah. trees. We have evergreen trees. Uh, the, the weird thing about this one, though, I think is um, that there's no fence. There's no building. Yeah. There's no enclosure. There's no protection. There's a look, yeah, no generator either. It didn't look like. Chris, uh-uh. put that back up, would you? Ugh. Yeah, it's kind of like they were just driving down the road and said, all right, it'll work here. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like here's the dead spot. Oh, there's a telephone pole. It's yeah, just yeah. a cellular phone pole. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cellophone so, pole. Cellophone. There you go. Um, digging out the right image. Yeah, careful what you put up on the screen, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There. Yeah, there, you're right. There. There's there's nothing. There's no generator. There's no barrier. I mean, it looks like it's just right alongside the well, they did put up this metal protector i guess but yeah uh, yeah the guardrail thing but yeah. that's uh, i mean there's a there's a couple there's of there's a bollards. warning here a caution yeah, yeah there's a couple of bollards in front of the yeah uh, i see that yeah yeah so fish. aerial power to it yeah i think uh 
so we had a dead spot somewhere and yeah and this is security. this is powered by enza isn't it matt uh it's right on the fringe so that's the edge of uh vale lake property which temecula owns so i am not positive whether temecula's power goes out there or if which but it would be, be subject to blackouts fairly regularly during fire season right oh or no yeah yeah so cal edison gets shut off almost as much as um san diego gas and electric there yep <sighs> So that was a fun one. I knew that. Oh, um, I like that one. And that was, you took that picture? Yep. Oh, even better changed. than when you just Google search random things. So. Oh, I think, I think almost all of them have been pictures I've taken. Yeah. Uh, we have, we've had a couple that I took. Um, and we have uh, one or two that some folks have sent in that I've been trying to hold for the right moment, I think. Well, you need to bring uh, one of these times we should put up like the, uh, the wireless or the wired distribution network from like the Philippines or Bangladesh, you know, yeah. where you can't, you can't even see the sun. There's so many wires up there. Those are some of my favorite. We did get a, we did get a few of those from, um, from one of our, our, our fans. Uh, my parents, I, my parents brought me a shirt back from Vietnam that says Vietnam telecom. Yep. And you can, you can see a pole and then it's spaghetti. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, one question real quick. Um, you've used the word fans as a plural are you sure there's not a you know <laughs> i'm kind of going with fan you know it's weird they all have russian accents uh, yes, they, yes, they exactly. have twitter accounts they have social yeah, media yeah, yeah yeah and they want you to white they want your bank information too don't they they, they do <laughs> yes yeah so but only um, to give you money not to take from you yeah 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 I did get I did get a note today um, from someone who said they found a security vulnerability on our, on our site and were asking about oh, yeah. um, disclosure of this and that. And I'm sort of like, we're running WordPress pretty much straight out of the box. Like, I'm pretty sure that you're a scammer. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's WordPress. Of course, there's vulnerabilities like it's WordPress. <laughs> So um, anyway, let's let's talk about tribal broadband before we lose our fan uh, from Russia. <laughs> <with love. laughs> so I wanted to I also want to get started because I feel like it might be helpful. Uh, Matt, you already noted uh, was 109 tribes in California, the most uh, tribes in any state. Um, uh, do you want to run through just some basic stats on where tribes are, how many of them are and federally versus state recognized? Just basic, a few basic things, you know, nationally, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, so 574 uh, federally recognized tribes at the moment, somewhere around 86 state recognized tribes. Um, you know, California has 109, Alaska has a whole different situation so that, you know, you could argue that Alaska is all tribal. Uh, and then there's Oklahoma, which is now all tribal-ish. And, uh, and so there's, you know, there's quite a few there. Um, I think the Northwest uh, has somewhere around 28 or 29, right, Jessica? Like if you go Oregon, Washington, Idaho. Yeah. And um, and then you have some spread out through the Great Plains. Um, you have a, you know, you have a, a cluster of tribes that that didn't get forced out of the east or people stayed behind um, as the colonies were settling the east coast. And uh, so there's some remnant tribes. Uh, Cherokee Nation happens to be the biggest one over there. Um, they got split in half and there's Cherokee and Oklahoma and Cherokee and on the coast, east coast, um, you know. So we have we have tribes that have three members left um, because the federal government was very strategic in cutting them into small bits so that they could not survive, you know, generations. And we have a few tribes that are um, a little over three hundred thousand. I think the Cherokee Nation as well as the the Navajo Nation are are both over three hundred thousand enrolled. Um, Navajo Nation has approximately one hundred and thirty some thousand um enrolled members living on the on the 27,000 square miles 
um, regularly, but there is speculation that during COVID, when people lost jobs and, and were evicted from apartments and things, people retreated back to the reservation and there's potentially 180 to 185,000 people on, on the reservation now uh, that, that, you know, that same infrastructure needs to support, which is a struggle during COVID. Um, you know, and we have tribes spread all, all, all throughout. Uh, Jessica, is Yurok's the largest tribe in California as far as population, yeah? Land and population, yep. What's the population? So we have about, uh, so the, the tribal membership is about get, getting really close to 6,500. Um, the population on the reservation is around 900. But there's, you know, pretty um, large ancestral territory where we have um, groupings of population populated uh, tribal membership that the majority of our tribal members actually live in um, the Humboldt County area, the, the South area. Right. Yeah. It, which is crazy to me because it's like the largest tribe in California. California has the largest need of broadband, like the, the largest gap in, in, um, in that. But, you know, for a huge portion of our reservation, there's no utility whatsoever not even power. Um, like if you look at the, the Yurok reservation on the map, um, it follows along the Klamath River from the mouth and about 48 miles up and one mile on each side. The center portion of the reservation um, is the Pequon district and the, they're almost out of water. Like their water source is drying up and they don't have any sort of communication. Like one of the things that makes it really challenging about these places and trying to solve the problem is that if you spend too much time thinking about the actual problem, it kind of can, you know, it's overwhelming. Heavy. Yeah, it can consume yeah. you. So, you know, the tribes were put on reservations. Sometimes those reservations were in land areas where that tribe occupied and sometimes not. So in the case of Oklahoma, many of those tribes were moved from the East Coast into Oklahoma uh, to be centrally located to be managed. And, uh, and so that's not a place that they were accustomed to traditionally, and they don't, they didn't know how to operate in that, um, in that environment. And, the, you know, the trust responsibility of the federal government was to provide the resources to the reservation where the people live. Well, but within the case of broadband and communications in general, we've seen, I don't know how many times the incumbent carriers have been incentivized to build out these regions and haven't. So it, it is yeah, fine. I want to talk about that for a second. And let's actually talk about telephone, because this is something where it used yeah. to be really easy to say the United States built this amazing telephone system and, and connected everyone. And uh, I've learned that not that's everyone. certainly not the case. So no. Jessica, you, yeah. you reacted to that. What, 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 is it, what do you want to share in terms of the telephone? Well, I mean, just this region in, in general, the Northern California, not what most people call Northern California, which is to me central, but like really the Northern portion of California, there's a lot of reservations, a lot of tribes and no telephone, no, none whatsoever, um, no power. And, you know, just those basic things that a lot of people take for granted. And, you know, it's, it's kind of frustrating because I've had to like educate people when I'm talking to them about, you know, like even as simple as a vendor trying to sell a product to me as the IT director. Like I have to like go back and show them where we are in our deficits. Like we can't go to cloud-based computing for this particular solution because 
we don't have the bandwidth to support it and we don't have a means to access it. And so, you know, just that sort of thing. And when it comes to telephone in general, you know, if there was telephone, we could do DSL, you know, there would be a solution that we could find, but there's just not. Yeah. Well, and it's worth, Matt, I mean, let me set you up for this because like that's that's in in really Northern California, um, in Minnesota here in Shakopee, which is uh, not too far south from where Travis is, um, the Shakopee Medwankadon, um, they were right next to Prior Lake in, in these two cities that have been growing for a long time. And there's just like this circle where you just don't have telephone service where the tribal reservation is. You know, yeah. you have telephone companies that have connected everyone right up to that line. And then they ended up building a fiber network and purchasing a telephone switch, um, you know, to connect hundreds of people, a switch that probably could serve 500 thousand people um, because they don't scale down that small because they had never gotten telephone service. So it isn't just a rural issue. It's just that these areas were just left behind by the telephone companies. Yeah. And the study, the studies that have been done show uh, that number is 70% uh, coverage for, for tribal land. So 30% of homes on reservations do not have access to plain old telephone service. So 911 that's tied to your address doesn't exist for 30% of the tribal homes. So that's, you know, it's really a, it's one of those things where, you know, I sit on panels at conferences and often follow incumbent telephone companies that, that preach about their, you know, their, their, um, their achievements and the people that they've served. And they're like, yay, 98.5% of our footprint is covered or over the people in our footprint are covered um yay us and i'm like guess who the one and a half percent is and that's enough of a percent of a population to be able to leave out those tribal communities so um so so then we have a situation in which the federal government has attempted to rectify that in a couple of ways and and as you said you can you just share um you know each of you a, 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 a description of like a time in which the federal government gave someone money to connect you and they didn't do it yeah Hold on, I go first if you want to. I mean, I'm kind of salty about it, so give me a second. Yeah, it's you know, so there's several uh, incentives to to you know in, incentivize these um, these telcos in uh, Lifeline and um, I forget the name of the other component, but it's the the hardest to connect folks. There's been money in those high cost fund, high cost, yeah. So there's been money in those forever, and they continue to just justify that it is not enough money to be able to pull this off um, and, and you know as running an ISP I understand that there are homes that are outside of the obvious network design that that incur costs that are far higher than what your um, base population requires of you but this is yeah. from our perspective this is not a what does it cost per household issue this is a how do we get everybody's services issue so mm -hmm. the federal subsidies should be designed to force incumbents to connect the population. And whether that is um, a 100% of the population scenario, is, is that the ruling? Or is it a certain percentage of the geography? Because I know in some of the newer deals with some of the wireless companies, the percentage of the geography is required, which actually forces them to hook up the rural populations because they have to get into the 90s in percentile of the geography and in doing so they have to serve those communities that live in the middle of nowhere yeah. 
yeah, I mean, it's like the same with Ardoff and um, as well, you know, the Ardoff awardee for the majority of California, it's just a wireless service provider. Um, but, you know, as far as that goes, like, you know, our particular carrier of last resort in this, in this region is, is Frontier. And, you know, they have not invested anything at all into this Northern California region of their infrastructure. And so, you know, simple things like if it sprinkles one day, all of a sudden those who are connected to a, a plain old telephone service can't make phone calls, <laughs> you know? Like, you know, things like that are really frustrating. Um, and the fact that, you know, like Matt was saying, when you look at it from a, a profit standpoint, sure, it doesn't make sense. It's gonna cost a heck of a lot of money to build out. And there is not a huge population, you know, 900 um, homes and businesses within a pretty large um, area and a difficult terrain. Sure, I, I get that. But that's, I guess, why we're doing it. And that's why, you know, now I'm the CEO of the Europe Telecommunications Corporation, because my motivation is not a profit margin and return on investment. It's about solving a problem because nobody else has, you know, and how long they've been getting it. I mean, before Frontier, it was someone else. And before them, it was someone else. And each time this infrastructure has changed hands, the, you know, the purchase, the person acquiring it has not invested any money. And so the, the copper wire infrastructure, the plain old telephone service uh, lines have not been, you know, maintained well. And so it, it's a mess and it's going to be an expensive um, and difficult process. In addition to the fact that, you know, in California, because of the fires, uh, they're wanting to move all of the above ground utility underground. So you add that on top of, you know, the CEQA requirements, the California Environmental Quality Act, and it's going to take a while and a lot of money. Um, but in the end, it'll be worth it. So I was, um, you, Jessica, you set me up perfectly. And then you, you, um, you, you noted that you were the new CEO, because I was going to say, it'd, it'd be an awful time to be the newly named CEO of a telecommunications corporation. In the area. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's going to be tough. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. But I'm also like, you know, I'm fully aware of the, the gravity, you know, that it's, it's a huge problem. And it's not like, there's not one light switch or billion dollars that's going to solve it. It's going to take a lot of time and a lot of money. And so um, that's something that the commitment, even if you get a loose commitment from an incumbent, it wouldn't ever, you know, cross the finish line and solve the problem completely, moving this region across the digital divide. Like every step forward is a win. Like, you know, as simple as earlier this year, getting awarded the, the 2.5 licenses, you know, that was a win. And, um, you know, being able to apply for the EDD program without having that designation of the eligible telco, um, you know, each step forward is a win. I know it's going to take a long time and a lot of money. And so, you know, I hope that the federal government gets to come and. You know, so let me let me throw this out there. And um, I'll, Matt, let me ask you to respond to it first. I'd love to hear what Travis has to say. I'll talk about technology for a second. Um, one of the things I heard um, after our tribal wireless bootcamp, which, um, you know, we've, we talked about on a community broadband bits podcast, if people aren't familiar, you can sort of Google around and learn a little bit about it. Some has been written. I, I'm still gonna write a big article about it, hopefully sometime tonight or tomorrow. Um, 
when I got back from that, a lot of people were really excited and talking about like this 2.5 gigahertz is real opportunities. You know, someone that I really like because they sometimes have contrary opinions and they tell me when they think that I'm wrong, wrote to me and said, why are you wasting your time on this wireless stuff? We need to do fiber. We got to get fiber out. That's the solution. And, and so I'm just curious how you react to that. So we're hearing that a lot. Um, that now there's enough money to pay for fiber. Now that this, you know, this federal money's coming, why are you even dealing with wireless? And what some of the newcomers to this space don't understand is that fiber is a massive obstacle in, in management. And it is the be all end all. It's where we'd like to be for every single connection. Um, don't get me wrong. I'm not technology um, specific. I'm technology agnostic, but I am also very aware of what the cost structure is for fiber versus wireless and whether or not the, the communities that we're working with can support those things, uh, whether or not there's enough human capacity to manage uh, a wireless plant and be able to support that in each of the small reservations that exist. You just said a wireless uh, plant. Sorry, I meant fiber. Weird. Um, so anyway, think, so a fiber plant. Go ahead. What is what I mean, do you think that there's a difference in terms of the human capacity to manage a wireless network versus a fiber network? Uh, well, so so I'm speaking a little bit um, close to home where, um, you know, we're managing a wireless network that serves multiple communities where um, this money that's coming will sort of incentivize tribes to step off that network and potentially manage their own. Right. So. So they're going to take on a fiber responsibility to manage their own reservation, and they're going to then concern themselves with, okay, how do we now bring fiber to our municipalities? How do we bring fiber to our community homes? And so I think a lot of folks aren't prepared um, for what that means in their small community, attracting the right people to be able to run those types of businesses, whether or not they have that human capacity already within the reservation. Um, populations are small. And so they're going to be relying on outside resources and outside resources are tapped at the moment with this much money flowing. So I'm, I'm not negative to fiber. I just think that people are jumping into it going fiber and not actually looking at what that means. And we have some gnarly geography. I mean, we have some, you know, three, 4,000 foot differences in elevation from, you know, just a, a few miles, 10 miles away. And, um, that makes it tough. We have a lot of rock. We have a lot of um, uh, situations where small reservation, county land, private land, small reservation, county land, private land. So doing this as a consortium and running fiber everywhere, you know, as a consortium would be complicated as well. So there's permitting, there's, you know, there's EPA evaluations, there's things that need to be determined. And I think every single tribe isn't prepared for that. I think some tribes are prepared for that. And I, you know, and I'm excited for their their growth opportunity. And I think that getting fiber as a backhaul for every single reservation should be a mandatory step so that at least you can mm -hmm. run a wireless network that has enough backhaul to support what you're trying to do. Um, but I don't think wireless is off the table until you know that level of in infrastructure can be created. And if you look at the national infrastructure map of fiber, there needs to be a massive fiber densification to be able to serve that. And, and you know, yeah. I'll honk this horn all day as part of the Obama administration work of the C CTO of the United States, we identified 8,000 missing miles that to connect the lower 48 states tribes, which is about 320 land masses to 
you know, meaningful fiber location, there's about 8,000 missing miles. And, and California has 1,800 of those miles. So that is, uh, you know, roughly a billion dollar problem anyway. Um, so, so I think there's a big, a big leap to make to get fiber everywhere. But I think we need to get yeah. there eventually. Absolutely. I mean, for, for us, we don't have fiber near the reservation and we get it, our bandwidth from pretty far away. Um, and so once we get the fiber to the reservation so that we can have a backhaul, um, the next step would be to, to get it all across and hopefully to the, the home in at least some of the more populated areas. So Travis, are there any questions that are popping up as we've been talking about this? Well, so I'll be honest with you, I'm not as educated as everybody else is on this particular yeah, call. You say so that about I, every episode. You think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, but I was just looking at the. Uh, <laughs> oh, you have them on here. <laughs> yeah, the um, it's pronounced Yurok, right? Is that the correct pronunciation? Yep. So I was looking at yep. the, the geography of of the reservation, and did I hear you right that there's 900 residents in that you're serving in in the Yurok Reservation? No, I'm serving about 175 to 200 um, homes. That's who I'm able to serve currently with our, our wireless backhaul. I okay. mean, but this is a redwood or along the river and um, there's canyons and mountains and trees. Yeah, oh yeah, so to be, you know, to be clear, so, Jessica, you're saying you have like 175, 200 customers. There are like 900 people living in yeah, the reservation. Yeah. Is that right? Correct. Now, and then the other question I have is, is like, is 169 run right through your reservation? Or the top part. Yeah. Okay. Do you guys, do you, is that a federal road or do you guys, does the reservation have right away access to that road? Do you know how that works? Yeah, we have right away. So like, for example, along 169, it goes to the end of the road, we call it. Um, yeah. In 2018, we brought uh, power lines down to the end of the road. Um, and that was the first time that particular area got power. As soon as wow. we, you know, finished that build and it was lit up by pg and &E, pg and &E took ownership over that. Um, and, you know, if we were to able to go back a while i would have um you know insisted on we retaining ownership of those but yeah okay um, because i was wondering if travis right is getting ready to ask about fixing well, the speeding ticket he got no 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 no. <laughs> i was i was just kind of looking at the infrastructure because when you when you talk fiber geography becomes mm -hmm. a, a, a big player in the, the in really rolling out a, a proper fiber network and if you've got right away and you have easement and you have the proper environment it is a very you know viable thing but it reminds me of a conversation i had last night about these subsidies and when you were talking about these subsidies for the incumbent carriers who are there i mean we're talking about subsidies that have been going on for what 30 40 50 years right in various for, forms yeah. And, you know, the guy last night I was talking to is like they could have built fiber 20 times over in, yes. in all these locations. So it's uh, it, it's it's I had, you know, hearing it firsthand is very interesting. So wireless, though, you know, has also has geography issues. So do you have pretty good luck out there delivering decent speeds out into some of these areas? Oh, Jessica, yeah, different yeah, than me because of the geography. But go ahead, yeah. Jessica. Yeah, I mean, in some 
in some instances, yes. In other instances, no. I mean, the 2.5 is helping um, for some of the harder to reach areas. Yep, yep. Uh, if the so faulty, but um, <laughs> that's another story for another day. Um, you know, and it, there are still some areas that just we cannot reach. And so those are, are some places that I need to expand on. Um, you know, it's like we have a, a tower on the top of a hill, but the homes the, at the bottom of the uh, canyon are just not servable in that way. Sure. But we're, you know, this is um, tribal lands too. And so you have to be really careful about uh, weighing out the cultural impacts over getting people access. And so, um, you know, that's a really important part is like, is this gonna impede this ugly tower with all these radios on it going to impede on the view shed of this really sensitive dance site? Um, okay. And so those are challenges too and, and why um, we haven't been able to serve particular areas yet. But, you know, there's cool solutions. I, I was in, in uh, Tuolumne County on vacation earlier this year and I saw this, tree tower and like it literally looked like a tree it wasn't one of those like tree towers um <laughs> and so there's all kinds of different things that, that you know that people have figured out to do and um it's just about being creative so that's why i kind of like the picture on the side of the road with the <laughs> the cell it's like sometimes you just gotta do something uh, doing something is better than doing nothing yeah, i think um in Southern California, we have a little bit better luck because we have really dry, dry climate. Um, we're not dealing with as much moisture and where the tribes sit in San Diego County, we're not on the coastline where the marine layer comes in. We're actually east side of the county. So we have clear, clear skies most of the time and really, you know, low humidity. So that wireless signal transfers really well through that. Uh, the biggest problem in this space with wireless specifically is the lack of accessible spectrum from the FCC or the federal government allowing us to use it. So <clears throat> the cool stuff has already been allocated to either the military or the incumbents that exist, right? The wireless carriers that exist. If we had access to some of the, um, you know, the, the bands that they use for cellular that um, can go through trees and bounce off rocks, go around corners kind of a thing, we would be solving this problem pretty well. Now, when TV white spaces came out, we jumped on board and we thought this was the greatest thing because this was going to be the solve. Well, the engineering department of the FCC chopped the legs out from under it and took the power away. If you had the power back in the TV white space and you actually kicked everybody off the analog and put them on the digital like they were supposed to, you would actually have channels that could be functionally used at the right power range to serve people in densely wooded areas and all kinds of different stuff that you know we have geography problems with now but we have you know we have a sliver of this available spectrum in the world and um in situations in southern california we have towers that we have used it all so if we want to do anything new we have to license something or pull something down to put something new up yeah and i think i think that's a very <clears throat> you know very astute thing is 10 megahertz of spectrum in the you know, you guys are using two five or three six five or even five gigahertz. Yep. You, don't, you can't serve a lot of people. You can't penetrate very far. No. So it's, um, but yeah, I'd love some of that juicy 700 megahertz, you know, yeah, a nice 40 megahertz slice there, boy, we could do some, make some changes. You could, you can make huge changes and that yeah. would, that would actually uh, grow the value of wireless versus fiber. Yeah. Wireless doesn't scale to the level of fiber, but 
But to the end point, if you get fiber close and you can distribute off that end point, that fiber is your backhaul, yeah. then all of a sudden you're making a difference and you're, you know, you're serving a hundred megs to the home. You're not serving, you know, 15 megs to the home, which we're trapped in some of these situations. But you well, know, Chris, I, I think your picture that you brought up, I didn't appreciate it at the time, but you're looking at a, a cell tower owned by a major carrier, I assume, that is being wirelessly fed, it kind of says something, you know, where most other parts of the country are, they're all fiber fed. So I think, I think inadvertently you, you really. I'm displayed. playing 3D chess here. I don't know what you're yeah. talking about. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you, boy, it was, it was pretty astute on what, what you're, uh, uh, really helps, you know, visualize the issue that th these folks are facing. Let's just be clear here that Travis thinks that like, because something I did that worked out, it was obviously an accident. No, I, 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 I did not, you know, I'm probably like most other people did not appreciate the uphill battle you all are fighting. You know? Yeah. I mean, if you look at that cell tower too, that, that clearly cannot be a 5g scenario that probably is not a 4g LTE scenario yeah. yep. amount of backhaul. It, it does need fiber to backhaul to be able to survive that. So did you figure out what project was happening right around there? Are they getting fiber down through that? They road? are. Uh, they potentially are going to put a conduit through that bridge to support the fiber runs that'll happen in that region later, but they are actually um, widening and fortifying that bridge. Hmm. When and we were out there, my traffic. When we were out there. We got stuck as uh, there was some some work going on. Um, so I want to I want to make sure before we check out, like like what's working, and and, and this is actually, I mean maybe a little bit of what's not working also, but like, but Jessica, like, I also feel like people who are like, well, fiber is the answer. Like, just give us a, if you can, a slight taste of, of what you've been dealing with, with fiber in Northern California, because like, it's, it, I, if you go back to when that project started, I don't think you thought you'd be sitting here in 2021 talking about how it's not done yeah. yet. Yeah. Are you talking about the Columbus River Rural Broadband Initiative? Yeah, I think so. Um, so this point, effort between uh, the Karuk tribe and the Yurok tribe. So um, originally the grant was applied for, I think in 2013, um, or at least awarded in 2013. And that was to bring fiber over um, from Orleans down 169 and then over Bald Hills out to the coast. Um, so yeah, I mean, absolutely. That particular project is kind of frustrating because um, it's, only in you know one of those only in California type of situations where the the road to get from one end of the reservation to the other there's a big section of it that's unpaved and why is it unpaved because it's national park land and national park doesn't want us to pave it um, you know but there was a section of it that was being paved a few years ago um, and they could have been putting conduit in at that time and they didn't um, you know, things like that, you know, and the permitting process is just crazy, you know, to be able to get the NEPA requirements, the, the cultural requirements met, and then on top of that, California's requirements, and then there's this whole other third-party review of your, cult, you know, your entire environmental document, and that part is taking forever. So not only did different agencies have to do the cultural uh, permitting and review, then somebody else has to take that and reinvent the wheel and start over again. It's just a huge waste of time. And ultimately, when, you know, when it's all said and done, it's like, is this project going to be competing with all of the other projects that were exempted from that particular process? 
and get, you know, pushed out even further. So, you know, it's one of those things where it's like this project is a solution. It's the solution to getting access right now. Why are we stuck in this minutia of, of nonsense? Matt, can you remind us about the, um, the nationally historically designated highway? God. It seems relevant to this. <laughs> it is so relevant to this. So this is a problem. I was just on the, the California Broadband Council meeting yesterday. I'm an advisor to them uh, for the state of California. <clears throat> so to rewind to this issue that Chris just brought up. So I was at a California Public Utilities Commission hearing uh, that was held regionally in, in the southern San Diego County area or maybe Imperial County. And I was on the dais speaking and they were asking for recommendations on how to, you know, move the broadband efforts forward and what were the barriers that, that I knew about in, in the regions. And I live in Riverside County, which is just north of San Diego County. And there is a historic highway that connects the coastline, of, you know, eventually over to Palm Springs area over the mountain. Historic highway, it got historic highway signs and they refuse to allow the um the uh anza connect to run fiber down that highway because it was historic and, the, and anza connect was trying to run fiber down that highway to support a tribe that has been living in this region for roughly ten thousand years so i piped up as i do and said so you're telling me that your paved road is more historic than a tribe that has been here long before you know european occupation long before you know any of this existed your road is more important than them getting access to resources. And it that kind of stuff pisses me off. I, um, you know, I, I voice my opinion a lot about these kind of things. And, and yesterday on the California Broadband Council hearing or meeting, um, you know, it's live to the public. And some of the things that were brought up is like, okay, so California is looking at this $6 billion plan to do this open access fiber network that the state's going to manage. And I think 3.2 billion of it, it goes to those corridors and things. And you know, realistically, we need to start talking about streamlining permitting processes and and the obstacles that sit in the way of the bureaucracy that sits in the way of actually succeeding in this. Because yeah, you can throw money at something all day long, but it takes you 18 months to get a permit that has to be reviewed by a third party for another half of a year. It's never going to happen. People are going to well, no, no wonder, no wonder nobody wants to do it, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you go broke before you even have a permit. So it, it was. It just keeps rattling around in my head. So if you had an open checkbook to bring fiber to everybody, can it even be done? Or is there so many barriers in the way? Like you said, your historic highway or your national, you know whatever your fancy tree that you can't go pie or whatever, you know, yeah. can Kennedy, can it even be done? You know? So I, I think if, if some of the money is used to help government take away those bureaucratic nightmares, yeah. then yeah. But if, if you don't take some of that away, it will stop some of the projects from being built. Uh, it absolutely will be a deal breaker in some locations for actual succeeding in this process with fiber. Okay. Uh, I, I, I'm guaranteeing that there are places that won't happen, but everybody's mindset seems to be moving forward and hopefully we can unstick some of those, you know, some of those obstacles that have been so horrible in the past, uh, like forestry, um, BLM, uh, national parks, uh, things like that, where, where there are pathways that have to exist 
through those entities. So, okay, so there's just needs to be a process on how you get through that in a timely fashion to be able to support mm -hmm. this. Another thing that, that happens, and I, I've seen this recently, and it's very frustrating, is you have the Department of Transportation for a state as big as California. I mean, we're, we're fifth largest um, economy in the world, and you're, you're building out roadways to support this economy. And yet, when there is a potential to run fiber in a roadway that has a scheduled maintenance to it that allows you to microtrench or do something, and it comes along and yes, they've approved it and they've pointed state funds at it. And you're going to serve, you know, this 18 miles of roadway is now going to get fiber, which changes the whole outlook for this mm -hmm. next community or multiple communities at the other end of it and some tribes. And they go out to bid because there's a bidding process and a bureaucratic process that they have to manage this and that all the bids are too high. So now the project gets pushed, pushed to next year. How do you stop that problem too? I mean, because there was a project that was going to happen in a month that is now not going to happen for, you know, more than three quarters of a year. So how do you fix that? I don't, I don't know how you fix that, but something needs to happen in the process that takes away some of those, you know, bureaucratic barriers. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. You know, we have a very small version of that here up in Minneapolis. You know, they there's some government entity that owns some dirt that you can't go through. So, you know what the answer sadly is people on the other side of the dirt, you don't get the resource and you know, and the, what's, what's even more sad about it. And is because I always call them taxpayers. They hate that down at the city. I'm like, your taxpayers are are uh, they don't they don't really honestly they don't care. They're like, nope, you can't go under our dirt. And that's what's even more ironic. You go under, so it looks identical yeah. tomorrow <laughs> than it as it did to you know today and yesterday. But you know, and for the record, they, Travis is talking about the uh, the Minneapolis Park Board, which is uh, somewhat uniquely strong as far as municipal structures go, and um, somewhat lacking in accountability when it comes to decisions uh, along these. But it lines. sounds like Jessica and Matt have the same kind of problems. You know, we need to get a fiber cable from here to here, mm -hmm. and there's a road there. Uh, I guess in Jessica's case, is a dirt road that you can't go through because you know. There's some bureaucracies in the way of making it happen. Yeah, oftentimes the people on the other side of the untouchable dirt are tribes. Okay. But here's what's ironic. And this, I've just learned this recently up here in Minnesota is when they build bridges, in a lot of cases, they put conduit underneath the bridge to mm -hmm. allow future expansion because they don't want people to, you know, be up there drilling holes in bridges. Right, so right. the bridge department has figured out how to get over like a body of water. But then when you get to the other side, you're stuck. You can't go only, only in your yeah. state. Yeah. The rest, yeah. Of, the country, so, the rest yeah. of the country hasn't yeah. figured that out yet. Yeah. For the record, if anyone who's listening that has a whole bunch of power, um, overpasses, bridges, railroads, um, yeah. Um, anything along those lines uh, should have conduit and frankly uh, should be a simple process to lease it. Uh, you know, New York makes money off it uh, from what I can tell. Um, they don't charge a whole bunch, but enough to pay for the cost of the program, maybe a little bit more. And that's you know, honestly, I started this whole conversation with one question I wanted to ask, cause I've never, I don't know how it works, but it seems like some of these tribes, especially out on the West where they've got large ge geographic areas, do they run fiber through and then sell wholesale transit or transport through their reservation it it's seems like it's, it seems like it'd be a great opportunity to build the infrastructure and and fund it 
So historically, well, I, 20, 23 years ago, sorry, Jessica, they, yeah. I'll, I'll be quick. They built around the tribes that, that had that obstacle, right? The, the tribe had a strategic location yeah. and all you would have to do is pay transit across and the, yeah, tribe, yeah. the tribe knew about it would build the infrastructure from border to border. That's maybe more of a more common process or thought process now. It wasn't a common thought process 20 years ago. They didn't really understand why this made a difference to their communities, right? They didn't understand that that getting access to those services were of value, or they asked for access to those services, and the and the companies were like, "Who? No, 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 no! This is all about us." And they would just go around the reservation. Nobody, but maybe like Navajo, has a big enough landmass to stop you from going around. Okay, okay. I just thought it would be a great way to to fund. You know, especially, you know, if you're getting out to sell providers and, you know, other people that are on, you know, I was just, it was just a curiosity. Jessica, how are you going to respond to that? Well, I mean, that's, that's true. I mean, that is a thing, especially in our area. So when we build the fiber, there is going to be opportunity for people to want to use it. Um, that's the idea with, uh, you know, the Climate River Broadband Initiative is that it's connecting I-5 out to the coast. There's no other fiber that comes out to the coast mm-hmm. um and creating that you know interconnection um also you know in the 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 fiber that i'm hoping that it gets funded and built i'm starting to feel like oh gosh there's there's too many obstacles um after today but uh you know that's connecting the south to the north along the coastal highway i mean you know when it comes to getting access to broadband we need to have redundancy and other options because you know some providers you know have a fiber cut a stream of them and then you know that's means you're down if that's your only choice of direction and so you know redundancy having multiple providers um interconnect is is how we keep the prices low too um just in the south of humboldt they're building a you know high-speed cable landing um, you know, it's going to be a lot of bandwidth that is going to need to go places and that people are going to want to, um, to send. And so that's, that is an opportunity, um, once we have the infrastructure in place. Yeah. And you're in a unique scenario where you're poised to be able to put that in place. Uh, other tribes, you know, aren't forward thinking enough or didn't, you know, are more reactive to the situation and the time to build you know, put conduit in the ground and build fiber, you know, it, it takes a duration of time. So what is the timing of the project that needs your service? Can you match that on the calendar? Can you actually be ready when they're ready? Uh, otherwise, they'll look for a solution uh, that's more immediate. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and tribes, um, I don't know, historically have been taken advantage of by those types of scenarios where if they were going to cross the land and there is a tribe, specifically here in San Diego that has three fiber pathways across its land. Only two of them uh, correctly have filed all of their paperwork and stuff with the Bureau of Indian Affairs. And uh, one of them was supposed to supply supply services to the tribe and and still haven't. And this is 15, 17 years ago now. So there are situations like that throughout this country where, you know, there was a cash payment made but there was also supposed to be a follow-up and some services. And then the, the recording of that isn't even on file legally where it's supposed to be to manage that. So, 
So I yeah. feel like as we're wrapping up, I think it is worth noting that this has been more of a downer than an <laughs> upper, although we are in a time in which there is uh, historic opportunities, whether it is through the uh, license of spectrum that is available in many areas. Um, certainly don't want to get people to overthink this in the sense that like, most tribes do not have spectrum in most of their lands. So, um, but it is a case that that some tribes have spectrum in some of their lands. <laughs> so um, we can make use of that. There's <clears throat> money that is going to be available. Um, it is difficult to figure out how to rapidly use that, but there's real opportunity out there. There is, and yeah. this, this is a time where I think we need to help tribes understand that they shouldn't be consumers they should be providers right they should be operating uh like like other um utilities that exist and and incumbents that exist and work at a wholesale level with the national network of things and be able to distribute those services to their own people and their surrounding neighbors um as the provider versus the consumer so this is the time for tribes to shift from buying services at a retail rate to providing services at a retail rate um, because you're, you've stepped into that next realm. And I think that's a positive uh, environment that we can look forward to in the future. We have the funding to be able to support some of those projects to get to that, pay, that page in history. We, we have, you know, um, probably one of the strongest atmospheres right now for helping tribes to identify these solutions and look at fiber maps and support some of the things that are happening. Um, so, you know, on a, on an upbeat side of things, I think, you know, the time is right. The time is now. And the, some of the resources are here and available. It's just, are, are we completely ready? And, you know, what is it going to take? Are, are you seeing yeah. a shift of maybe some, you know, people with some entrepreneurial spirit that want to get into running their own internet providers and, you know, in, in any of these areas or, at the tribal level, yeah. yes. And Justin okay, great, can great. talk to that as well. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's why the tribe created the Telecommunications Corporation is because for that very reason, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit is alive and well for the Yurok tribe. Mm -hmm. um, you know, huge amount of excitement, you know, the, not just in the sense of being able to bridge that digital divide, but by us doing it ourselves, we get to create jobs for people that are cool, mm -hmm. you know? that they wouldn't have had the opportunity to do before because they don't have access to internet to go online schooling or or even resources to find where they would get that education. And it's like, we're going to put you in school while I build this so that you can maintain it when it's all done. And you're gonna be providing your aunt and your grandma internet for the very first time. And that alone there is really cool. Yeah. I mean, I personally would wanna climb 150 feet in the air on a tower, uh, but my staff to do it, they're doing it because it matters you know it's their their kids and their grandkids that are going to be affected and their relatives right now you know getting access to the you know the internet being able to communicate it's it's huge um you're, you're also yeah, creating local jobs too which don't exist right <laughs> these are local jobs with with good paying salaries um you know interesting career opportunities uh transferable to other communities uh, they can move away and work in other at same industry, but other locations. And I think your neighbors are really showing this as well, right? Your other neighboring tribes, Jessica, you can talk about them a little bit. I mean, they're, we all know that this yeah. is happening. 
Yeah, so like the Hoopa tribes, they're kind of at the other end of the reservation boundaries. And then the Karuk tribes that are, are Karuk, my mouth doesn't like to, to speak words. Um, <laughs> but on the other end that we're working with in Orleans, um, you know, we're doing this, you know, our own way. Each tribe is doing it their own way, but we're doing it, you know, in a, in a way that's collaborative and um, together, you know, but separate. And, um, you know, like the, the Hoopa Valley tribe, they have a public utility district that is managing this. We're going the telecommunications route and the Karuk tribe is somewhere in the middle with having like a chief information officer. Um, and so we're all doing what works for the individual tribe. And, um, you know, the health of all of our, our broadband efforts is across the board for us. Like if I were just to be thinking and working on Europe alone, and leave Hoopa and Karuk out of it or vice versa, it wouldn't create a health of economy that we're trying to build. Um, like for example, you know, my three, uh, three of my staff are tower safety and um, rescue certified. The Hoopa tribe didn't have anybody at the moment. They needed some help. And so our climbers went to go help them install something on their tower. Like that's the way we work. And, and it's really cool because it creates this, um, you know, the support network. And as we've close, you know, gone outside of our little vacuum of just our small scope of knowledge and, you know, reached out to the Tribal Broadband Bootcamp, getting Matt and, and Chris and, and now Travis, like the, the bigger our network expands, the, the healthier we all are going to be. Excellent. And, and just fi final, final question on that topic, Jessica. So you're talking like a full stack of employment too. Like we're talking construction people, you know, uh, IT folks, fusion splicers, the whole the whole thing, right? Not just running an ISP, right? Correct. Yeah, we, nice. we've yeah. had to, the WISP in the tribal government under the IT department for the entirety of its life, which is about ten years, um, and now we're stepping out into this telecommunications land this corporation that's going to create jobs all the way from the bottom up, um, starting from the up, <laughs> I guess, with me being the CEO, I have to build that and, and build that team and that, um, you know, ability to grow. And, and, but yeah, it's like every type of yeah. job is going to be created. This and and do you see the cool. young, are young people excited about the opportunities? And yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of momentum and excitement. I mean, there's also, a little bit of skepticism too, right? No, no, this is real until that money drops. Once the money drops, then we can go and there will be more comfort and, and assurance. Because right now, you know, how many years have we been getting promises of, you know, the, the, the government going to solve the problem, whether it's through the high cost fund or through, um, you know, the rural digital opportunity fund, you know, or any of these types of things that's gonna bring the, the solution. Now we're going to do it ourselves, and yeah. and there's hope, but there's also a little bit of skepticism until it really, you know, the money's there to do it. Well, and, and there and there might be a few bumps along the way, but I think at the end of the road, you're going to be much happier to have done it yourself. Because again, I'm not a big government guy. Let them, you know, I'd rather do it myself, run it ourselves, and 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 move on. So it's just how many hurdles does the government put in there in our way? And it sounds like you guys have as many as we do. Yeah. Definitely do. Well, I want to yeah. I want to conclude the episode uh, so that 
Um, I know, you know, folks on, on the West Coast there, you probably have still work to do today. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah, Matt, you probably have work to do tonight. <laughs> yeah. I don't, um, don't have work to do ever. It's always on. So, uh, jangle all the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, Jessica, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. And Matt, it's, it's good to see you again. Yeah, you too. See you next week or two weeks from now. And then I don't know, next week. And uh, like, so the week after that, and then maybe the week. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it was just so, so Matt, are you giving, are you giving Chris some actual labor to do or what? No, actually, uh, we're, <laughs> I think the last we're, time we were in Colorado together, we almost got mauled by a bear, which is a different way of saying we saw a black bear at some distance. Okay. <laughs> black bear at some distance that had just come out of hibernation and was, was pretty yeah. skinny and i stood up as tall as i stood and said you want a piece of this yeah well no just remember you just have to run faster than chris that's my theory that's yeah. not a problem i have bad yeah. knees and chris has bad ankles and i gotta beat <laughs> <laughs> yeah so for people who are interested uh matt and i are going to mountain connect and then um i'll be in the, the la area very briefly for uh, uh an event um and then um, uh, also I'll be in Houston at the end of September for broadband communities and uh, DC a couple of times in October, it looks like for some things. So yeah, I think I'll be in DC with you at those times as well. So are you, uh, are you setting up a meet and greet for your fan for autographs and pictures? <laughs> We're just going to pre-sign a whole box of stuff yeah, for that person yeah. and we'll just ship it to them. Okay. So yes, if, if the fan would like an autograph, uh, Chris is available. <laughs> His 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 fee is a plate of chicken wings. It's not expensive, so it's a big plate, though. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Is, yeah. is, is it is it flats only, or do you do drumsticks as well? Oh no, he'll do everything. <laughs> and if you and if you go, Chris, take the last one. He never says no. So right. you know, he's consistent. So <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I'm not a Minnesotan. Um, uh, by, by birth. Um, no I am problem. willing to try cauliflower bites. I am I'm excited to try buffalo cauliflower bites. So I'm gonna add that to my repertoire. Are you lying out loud in front of us on camera? No, no, I mean just about anything you soak in in the uh, in buffalo sauce, I'd be willing to try. So I got some pine cones I'd like to sell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd like to thank everyone for their their patience. Um, I'm sorry if you tuned in and were really excited and hoping the rest of the show would be about Star Wars. Um, <laughs> we, we did stay on topic for a lot of it. And um, and I really appreciate um, the, the, I think we topped out at maybe 16 or 17 viewers. I know a lot of people will view this later or listen to the audio. Um, I'm, I'm excited to have these conversations again. I don't know if we're going to have one next week, but we have several shows that are starting to line up that are going to be really fun through uh, some of August and September. And uh, we're going to keep it going strong. Um, and yeah, it's been great. And that's another episode of Connect This.